want to welcome you to Gonzarilla. This is the podcast that deals with music, movies, comedy, and all forms of excessive consumption. My name is Brian Bentley. I want to thank you guys for being here today. When they have those top 10 polls, you've seen them like, what are the top 10 live bands, for example, of all time? I put the original band, Leonard Skinner, at the top of that list. This band was amazing in the way that they combined precision, passion, chops into one package that literally no other band wanted to follow these guys on the stage. And there was a really important part of Skinner's metamorphosis as a band, and that is when Artemis Pyle joined for the recording of the third album, Nothing Fancy. And what Artemis brought was a sense of precision, a sense of showmanship and flair, and he just hit the drums really hard. Kind of reminds me of Dave Grohl, the way he came in and just energized this band. As everyone knows, the original Leonard Skinner met a horrible fate with the plane crash that happened in 1977 that killed lead singer Ronnie Van Zant. And Artemis Pyle was on that plane and he was there. So Artemis decided to put together his own account of what happened, got together with some producers, and what they came up with was a truly exceptional document that focuses on the last few days of the original band's existence. The movie's coming out on DVD and video on demand on June 30th. It's called Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. And the guy who wrote and directed this movie is here with us today. I'd like you to welcome Jared Cohn. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. So with the street date coming up next week, are things pretty crazy around the office right now? It's been pretty crazy because, you know, things are, because of the, you know, the coronavirus, people are doing things a little bit differently. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're definitely excited about the release of this movie. I'm very excited. We have a little shindig that we're putting together on Tuesday, the 30th, which is the release date. So um doing that and you know prepping for some other stuff i saw the um the real awards uh, there's a clip on youtube where you guys are describing what it took to put together this movie can you talk about just the genesis and how it happened how you got in contact with artemis and how this whole thing came about the main driving factor and the person who i owe it all to is brian Pereira, who is the CEO of Cleopatra Records, uh, also known as Cleopatra Entertainment. Um, he is a, he's a genius man, businessman, and his label, Cleopatra Records, uh, signed Artemis Pyle's band, the Artemis Pyle band, which is very much an active band that they played the Leonard Skinner songs very well they got to talking and I had done music videos and movies for Brian as a director. So he know, he know, he knew my work and I was honored when he, you know, asked me to be a part of the project. And of course I said, yes, because I'm a Leonard Skinner fan. I didn't know much more about them than, you know, the hits and of course, you know, Sweet Home Alabama, Freebird, Tuesday's Gone, but Beyond that, you know, I was sort of like a bar, a bar fan, but I was like, yeah, heck yeah, Leonard Skinner, of course. 
let's make a Leonard Skinner movie. I th I wanted to ask you, um, what did what was it like? Uh, I assume there was uh, early production meetings with Artemis. I mean, how did those go? What what kind of stuff did you guys talk about? Oh, when, yeah, when I first met Artemis, it was a very sort of general. We sort of like worked our way from the outside in in terms of, you know, getting the story, you know, from him. And it was great, you know, because he, he's got a real presence and it really worked out. It, who knows how it could, it could have went really badly, but it went really great. I, I thought that it was interesting. The uh, casting was, was quite, quite amazing. Where did you find Ian Schultes? Because I heard he was a professional football player and he's super athletic, um, professional football player in Germany at one point. And he's, uh, yeah. he's, he looks like Artemis, and I assume, is that his real hair? Because that hair was incredible. This is real hair, yeah. <laughs> he looks exactly like a young Artemis Pyle, which is, it was great. He was perfect for the role, without a doubt. As soon as I saw him and he walked through that door, I was saying to myself, please be a good actor. Please, <laughs> because you look exactly, you know, you, it's like you got the role, just be good and he and, and he was that worked out so it wasn't a long casting process or anything it was pretty much like when you saw him you go that's the dude no uh for him i mean we had numerous days of, of, of casting so you know the way you have auditions is you know you have three or four days of auditions where you see people from you know whether they're they submitted themselves or their agent or a manager or ho however they found out about uh the casting notice so to speak and then they come in through, you know they come in through the door and you sit there and you know it's that awkward sort of thing where you're sitting on one side of the table and the actor is on the other side of the table and of course you know you want them you want them to do good and it's, but luckily we got really lucky we got some great people came in some tough decisions did you feel a, a sort of pressure? I mean, because because the Skinner contingent is is legendary. The fan base is so loyal. Did, was there a, a special pressure? Did or did Artemis feel a special pressure? Because I know he's been trying to get this story out for a long time. It was what was the mood on the set? The mood on the set. Well, my mood. You know, I I, I can only really speak for myself. There, of course, it's like a pressure to you know that it, we maintain integrity and respect to the the story my mood on when i'm on set and working is i exert a lot of energy which is can sometimes be a good thing and sometimes to be a, a bad thing the hard part about this i mean to me because of the depth of this subject matter that it would be difficult to get everything i mean if you tried to do a documentary on the band you know because what you've done is a recreation you know, with actors playing the roles, it would have been five hours long. So I like the way you guys concentrated on the relationship between Ronnie Van Zandt and Artemis Pyle and focused the movie on those last couple of days. And I think that's what gives it strength is that it's nice and focused. It's not a, you know, this is a bi biopic uh, about Leonard Skidder. It has elements of that, but end of the day, it's, it's focused about the plane crash Yes, you know, you see the band interacting with each other and, you know, the relationship between Ronnie and uh, Artemis are at the core and Artemis and his you know, wife at the time. But, you know, in the aftermath of the plane crash. So, it, you know, it's an unorthodox 
biopic because it's told from the drummer's point of view. And, you know, most movies that feature rock stars, music biopics, they're the lead singer, Elton John, Freddie Mercury, you know, The Doors, you're on Jim Morrison. But, right. And, and the drummers are usually like in the movie, but you, but, and they have a few lines here and there and, and, you know, maybe a small, play a small role. But uh, this is Artemis' story. It's, you know, he is the street survivor. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of feel as if that um, Artemis, you know, I've been a fan of the band for years. I, I, at one point, I was even thinking of putting together an actual Leonard Skinner podcast. I, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, to go to that specific specificity, but Artemis has kind of had, he's had a tough road to hoe because he's been up against the, the power base of the band, so to speak, which is, Gary Rossington, the original guitarist, and Judy Janess Van Zandt, the widow of Ronnie Van Zandt. And I know that Artemis has just struggled and struggled to get this story out. Can you talk about some of the, the legal roadblocks that you guys had to go through and some of the stuff that they kind of pulled? And I understand you actually um, had this case. They tried to block the uh, film because the only song that's in the movie that's used is um, um, Call Me the Breeze, which is written by J.J. Kale. But... I hear, I hear this went all the way to the federal court. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they really, um, uh, Judy Van Zandt did everything she could to try and stop us. Um, she used a lot, she spent a lot of her money. I, I would say easy a million dollars uh, in legal fees. Hired this extremely large Manhattan uh, you know, law firm that I, when I, when they deposed me and I had to give a deposition, you know, Cleopatra flew me out, you know, to New York and, you know, I went to this law firm and it was like the entire floor uh, of this beautiful building in New York city. And they just rows of attorneys, you know, staring at me, camera and, and, you know, a, a Tran, a transcriber, what do you, what do you, court, court reporter? Type yeah, yeah, uh huh. And they just grilled me for hours, and I had just you know the one attorney next to me, uh, Cleopatra's attorney, and uh, so that was you know I mean for me I was subpoenaed, uh, my text messages and emails were subpoenaed. She really kind of went for the jugular. What was her beef? I mean, did she? Did I mean what? What did they tell you? Because, I mean, I'm just guessing as, as a fan, but I wouldn't think that Ronnie, if he were still here, would have a problem with it. I mean... No, no, no. I, well, here's the thing. The beef is between Judy and Artemis. Artemis never did a, you know, he signed, never did a proper record deal with uh, the record label. He just did a handshake deal with Ronnie. And that was good enough for Artemis because you know, he was a man of his word. Very, you know, integrity. He didn't believe in system of, of things he believed in a handshake deal with my best friend is, is is all i need but and so when the plane crashed and ronnie died unfortunately first of all the medical bills they didn't want to pay for artemis's medical bills and you know he had just got shot and survived the plane crash and so he needed you know medical attention surgeries and whatnot they refused to pay it. So from that very moment, and and the residuals from all the songs, all the money stopped, and Art left 
Artemis in a really bad financial position because all his money has to go to medical bills that the label should have paid for. And, he, and on top of that, he's not making any money from you know, millions and millions of dollars. Something that he believes is worth to be worth around $15 million, which uh, I mm. believe is actually probably pretty accurate for 40 years of uh, residuals from Leonard Skinner's song. You would think that they would be so grateful to Artemis because to me, I loved Bob Burns as a drummer. He, he was fine and he, and he was great in the studio. But Artemis, without Artemis, he's kind of like Dave Grohl and Nirvana. Without Artemis, I don't think they ever would have had the kind of live impact that they had. And I kind of feel as if it's hard enough, right, to make a movie as is. You got enough issues, you're trying to get everything right. You're trying, and then you got to deal with all this other shit, you know, on the side. It's, it's got to be... Uh, it's got to be mind-blowing. How, how did it actually end up playing out? I, I hear that it actually went to a, an appeal in federal court. Yeah. So what happened was, yeah, they sued us and they won. I mean, they won. I mean, they won and it was devastating. When that happened, I, you know, I, I lost my mind and went through, you know, a whole negative spiral um, because I had put in all this work, years of work into making this film and you know, the only chance we had was this appeal to a different court, three entirely new judges. So that was great. We won the appeal. Now the movie is able to be to come out. Uh, I uh, was curious um, when you were doing the research for the film, uh, for the plane crash and the, what, what sort of sources did you use? I know that uh, former road manager Gene Odom had a book. I read that book and because it's been written up and it's been talked about, but there's a lot of other little details that went on in that plane crash. You know, the things like Ronnie falling asleep and having to be woken up and then put back in a seatbelt. And then I don't know if he took the seatbelt off, but there, there was a lot of technical stuff. Did you, was that all through Artemis or was, was there any other sources? Yeah, that you used? Uh, well, I read everything. I read Gene's book, Ron's, Ron Ackerman's and all the documentaries. So I was just, you know, I did everything I could. I read, and I worked with uh, Dean Goodman, the uh, rock and roll historian, who wrote a book, who wrote Artemis's uh, book, which just came out, Street Survivor, Keeping the Beat in Leonard Skinner, by Dean Goodman. Great. Would you say that it's a fair statement to say that Artemis is one of the nicest, most polite people you've ever met? He's just a real sensitive guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a great guy. I, I owe him a phone call. Super great guy. He's a he's a marine, and, and just a talented rock and roll hall of faming drummer. Uh, top man. I think he tried. I actually think he tried his best to to save Ronnie. I think it, something I read was that he tried to bring him to the back of the plane, and Ronnie just shoved him off and went right up to the front. And it was so unusual in that plane crash, just. The, the pilot error was obviously horrible that they uh, had, they were low on fuel and instead of transferring the fuel, they dumped the fuel out of the uh, good engine and they made just a ton of mistakes. But I was thinking about the fact that in some ways the lead pilot, uh, Walter McCreary, was kind of a hero because people don't realize that 21 out of 25 people survived that, that flight. And uh, they say that nobody should have, should have survived that flight that it was that it was you that know, bad i mean i don't know if i would call the pilot a hero he should have been more on top of not i'm not saying he's not a hero but uh you got to check the uh your plane out 
Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, they went on gauges, right? Is my, am I correct that were yeah. incorrect? Yeah. I mean, the pilot back in those days was a different day, so I, I I don't really know. But if if it was pilot error and it was co-pilot error, he tried to save his life. He tried to, you know, he did the best he can, but they ran out of gas. But once he ran out of gas, uh, there's 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 no heroic thing. You're gonna you're gonna try and land that plane. Yeah as best as you can and and anyone any anyone would have done there's nothing he didn't sac make any sacrifices no no i when i when i said hero i meant more along the lines of he screwed everything up but the landing was could have been you know completely cataclysmic i mean it, i think the fact that they were hitting those treetops slowing the plane down they didn't make the uh, runway because of that but also it did slow the the airspeed of the of the plane down had it been going faster I mean, at that point, there's really there's really nothing you can do. I mean, if you have no gas and you have no power, but you're you're going down. However, you're going down. You mentioned in the film that they put the landing gear down too soon, which actually created more drag yeah. on the uh, plane and slowed it down even more. You mentioned in the film that Aerosmith's management, uh, that's pretty well known, had turned it down. I also heard that Sticks, the band Sticks, had flown on that thing and thought it was just a nightmare and told everybody, you know, and stay away from the plane uh you also um chronicle uh unfortunately uh cassie Gaines and how she did not want to get on the plane i heard that they almost dragged her on the plane i mean that was a story i heard i don't know how accurate that is but uh i never heard this thing about the sticks uh sticks yeah sticks uh, I, I mean, where'd you yeah. hear that from uh it's just it, it's something that uh you know you watch the amount of documentaries that i've seen and everything it's something that i've heard that there were other bands that it had prior experiences with the plane and that sticks had flown on it and it like started spewing, you know, stuff out, you know, sh you know, backfiring and stuff and, and that they didn't want any part of it. So it, it was Ronnie, Ronnie had the saying that he said, when it's your time, it's your time. But it, I don't think there would have been a problem without the massive pilot error. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. It, 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 see, it's like, it's still to this day. I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, know the story really really well even artemis i mean then again like sometimes you'll hear a new thing like if i would, would have known that like that would have been something that would have worked it's found its way into the movie like that's something i've never heard before uh, another another story i heard that was that one of the reasons at first it was very difficult to identify the the passengers or the people on the plane and it was because they had been playing poker and they'd taken all their wallets out so when the plane crashed the wallets just went all over the place that's another, you know, you hear these things and uh, I, that might've been out of Gene Odom's book. I don't know, but. Gene Odom is, uh, I, I know he's out there and doing his thing with Leonard Skinner, but he is a pro he's profiting as much as he can. You know, yeah. he's, written, he's written many numerous books, doc video documentaries, and like he's branded himself as uh, this sort of, in a way, him and Judy Van Zandt are, you know, doing, similar things, uh, making their, their living by profiting off of, uh, you know, this thing. And, and, and Judy, I understand because yeah, she has the, the music. So that that's good, you know, because the song should be celebrated. But if you're just going to keep writing books about, you know, how your best friends with Ronnie and, and you miss him so much in the crash, <laughs> like, like at some point, where do you say you're exploiting the, 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 the death of your, Friend. you know let me just say this like if I, I 
had a pick between who to I trust more, Gene Odom or Artemis Pyle, I, I, I would absolutely select Artemis Pyle. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, Gene, Gene has said a couple of things about Artemis um, that I can't substantiate, but he's he's talked he a little a lot smack. Of yeah, he's talked a little smack about it. Gene's, Gene's of Gene's with Camp Judy, and I guarantee you they've had some sort of beef with each other because he's out he's out there waving and shaking his books and and judy is i I don't i can't imagine judy is uh all peaches and cream with what gene does it's kind of strange how when somebody dies i mean i know the Jimi hendrix estate had this issue but when somebody dies how and prince had this same problem where everyone started immediately litigating everybody it's it's really too bad that 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 seems to be a more common than not that uh that the survivors, you know, there tends to they tend to set off against each other in blocks, and, and I think that's one of the reasons that Artemis uh, is really beloved by people because they kind of feel like he got he got screwed a little bit by the by the powers of be and the legal thing, and, and the guy's so sincere, and he's out there trying to get his message. But I'd like to talk about some of the technical stuff that you guys did um, to make that uh, plane crash such a definitive statement. Can you can you talk about um, maybe some of the CGI and uh, location and modeling and stuff that you guys did? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that, you know, it, it was, that was a great and huge team effort from our locations department, our uh, production design, our uh, uh, visual effects department, art department, stunt department, um, act, you know, of course, actors and uh, cinema, you know, camera. I mean, all departments came together um, you know, in terms of finding us location, sourcing us plane parts, sourcing us a actual plane cabin cockpit that ma- yeah, that matches, sourcing like a real plane. We did have an issue, and I completely again, there's people talking shit on the internet about the plane being, you know, yes, it was a Convair, and we had it, a, you know, DC three. That was the closest plane we could find, and it's technically it's the same airplane. One is just a military version of the two forty. You're talking of about the two forty, yeah, the yeah. Commodore two forty. We had the D, we had a DC three, um, and all the people out there are saying, "Oh, yeah, I see." And you're, you know, it wasn't a Convair. It's the closest thing. The reality is, it's an we're an independent production, and it's very difficult on a low budget. Uh, to source airplanes look you know we we marked it the same we put the sticker on and we paint you know we did visual effects to it to to make it we did we did a lot of that we dressed the inside as much as you know identical photo identical from every you know any kind of video or picture you can find online of what this plane looked like but yeah i mean we use the dc3 so anyway it's a combination of you know you do what you can it's a limited budget we're not worn universal pictures yeah, this isn't this isn't the queen the queen or the Elton John movie. You guys you guys have to work within budget. Yeah, exactly. And and and, and you know it's like oh why don't you have the hits music? Well, it's the rights. You know it's the rights thing. Judy Benz in all that everything I was saying before about her. Um, but yeah, I mean technically we had, you know we had a great cinematographer. Uh, I mean I you know I can get into cameras and lenses, but you know that's then it starts to get into, uh, to uh, uh, too too boring. Well, the editing, the editing was fantastic, and so was the sound. The sound of those explosions going off was just, just awesome. Uh, yeah, sound, our sound, our post-production team 
you know, sound designer, composer, visual uh, colorist. They came together and they worked really well because they knew they sensed that this was something that was an important film. You get different work ethics, sort of, when people when you hire people, uh, even if it's for the same, you know, the same rate, same schedule. You just go, hey, we're making a movie about. You know, hey, we're making a zombie a movie about zombies uh, that you know kill teen teenagers in the woods. You know, like okay, you'll get people to work on it, whether they're you know, I've done plenty of those movies, but you know, you do a Leonard Skinner movie and people are like, oh wow, it's awesome. I'm really, really proud to be a part of this thing. Just for anybody out there who might be listening to this and doesn't know what happened. Artemis uh, had uh, some broken ribs that were sticking out, literally sticking out of his body, and he cr crawled out of the top of the uh, rear end of the plane, uh, had to wade through an alligator-infested swamp, and then when he finally found a farmhouse, uh, some guy shot him in the butt or in the leg because he thought he was, it. yeah, in the arm, okay, because he thought he was a crazy, you know, bloody hippie, which is what he looked like, but in, in fact, Artemis, you know, very likely saved lives, and you know he is definitely a hero of this story and uh i i kind of felt like um just the entire time i was watching it like almost like an action hero sort of thing i mean did you feel like he was kind of like kind of uh he's such a physical actor yeah i mean it is like you said he had being a you know professional uh football player he's a marine i mean armist pile in real life back then just came out of the Marines. So the guy is saving lives. He's super strong. He's super fit. He was he riding in the back of the yeah. plane, too. He was that's important to ride in the back of a plane when it crashes. Yeah, I mean, Artemis Pyle is, to this day, he's ripped. I mean, he plays drums for a living. And he, right. he has been for doing for, like, you know, 60, you know. He's been playing drums for 60 years. He's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's ripped. No other instrument you get such a workout. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know, than playing the drums. Um, I liked the little part at the end where he was where he was just you know jamming for some of the fans and stuff. Oh, and man. Some, this great guy. I mean, you watch, you see, you see how good he is in that little bit. Watching Artemis Trial play drums is special. I want to ask you about um, the a, a few business questions about like the distribution issue. I, I know how hard it is to get a movie sold outside of the standard studio system. What does it take these days to get a film on demand or to get it onto like Amazon or Netflix? I mean, is there a process that actually works or is it like just knowing people? I mean, how, how does that work? What you're asking is, that, is it a, you know, very, there's a, it's a huge world, but to get, but to, 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 to answer your question in a very simple way, it's very easy to get your movie on Amazon. That's fine. Um, are you going to make? Are you going to recoup and be successful and get people to watch it and buy it? And that's a whole. That's a whole. That's a three-hour panel <laughs> about about yeah. how, about distribution and you know VOD and how, you know how to make money and how you should go about that. Yeah, that's long story short. You can get your movie on Amazon. You can put it yourself. You can self-distribute it. Your question is: Once you start self-distributing it, how are you going to get people to? Uh, make them aware what about placement you know it, your movie's not going to appear on the home page of amazon uh people are going to have to search through it for it i think what what you're asking about is, is yes the significance of 
you're having, you know, of having a release of the rollout to get so your film succeeds and, and, and gets seen and you know, purchased. Uh, and that the answer to that question is it's very complicated, but you got to you got to you got to you got to play by the rules. And on this one, you know, this is a little risky. I mean, it's a risky thing, but I think I think, you know, time will tell. It's such a nice movie to look at. I mean, it, it's such a gorgeous film shot, you know. I mean, like, I, I know I said this before, but the cinematography on it is just really good. And uh, again, a really riveting performance by Ian Schultes uh, as Artemis Pyle. Uh, I had a question about how is it working with uh, Cleopatra? I know, I know their reputation as an indie label. Um, was, was this uh, different to try to do a film through them? Well, I had actually done uh, three other films with them, okay. uh, so I uh, and they're they're a delight, they're a pleasure. I I I adore uh, Brian, um, and, and uh, yeah, we hang out. We're friends. Uh, he's a and he's he's a great guy. So working with him um, has always been has always been great. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, you know. I hope I get to work with them again and make another movie. Uh, you guys also won a uh, a real a real uh, independent film award for uh, People's Choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. I mean, so how does how does that work? People's Choice. Beautiful award they sent. They had a I guess a, yeah separate sort of uh, vote voting situation. That's cool. Fits because to me, Skinner is like a people's band. I mean, you know, people have spoken. I mean, they. they have spoken. <laughs> it's kind of like. Uh, Long story short, I've been you know I've been out here almost twenty years. We're you know grinding, so right. Uh, you know if this I'm not I I've been here you know um, a long time. The only way to survive in Los Angeles, in my opinion, is you know you gotta your hands on numerous projects. You kind of gotta be you gotta you gotta multitask. Yeah, I've worked I worked uh, for years writing. Um, uh, taglines for films. Uh, I, I worked on. I did the tagline actually for Blade and uh, Dances with Wolves back at way back in the day. Oh, wow. And I worked with very small studios and large studios. I worked with, you know, New Line and Paramount, but I would also work with uh, smaller places. I, I had a really cool gig where I was doing all the uh, coverage, writing, synopsis, and stuff. And and I know that it's a difficult. Uh, it's a difficult market. I mean, when you go to a major market and you're trying to sell a movie and you're trying to get buyers and people to run in their theaters or to buy it and stuff, there's a lot of pressure to sell it. That particular part of it is, like you said, a completely different um, discussion. I, I got to tell you, I'm really glad that this movie was made. And um, I think that uh, Artemis should be proud of everything that he's put together here. And... Uh, the funny thing about Skinner is they're so known for the plane crash. And if you look at the famous plane crashes that have happened, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, Buddy Holly, Patsy Cline, Otis Redding, I think the Skinner plane crash is, is right up there for, for a story. And um, I think you really hit that story. It's a story of cultural and social significance as well. It was quite a, quite a job to put together and, uh, I just wanted to ask you about the, you had an original score for that too? Cause that was, that was quite good. Really talented musicians. Artemis's sons, you know, they, they're, they're in a great band. Artemis's band, uh, Pat Travers did rendition of Call Me the Breeze. Um, yeah. Recognize Pat. I mean, yeah, he's great.
Yeah, Pat's Pat's a legend. What's it like right now with the uh, the shutdown, lockdown, pandemic, and all that? I mean, is anything in production right now? I mean, how? Is yeah, it- yeah. There's a lot of produced things going that are coming back right now because production. I mean, there was people never stopped. I made a movie in Florida uh-huh. about a month ago, um, a shark movie, and uh, people are shoot people are shooting left and right right now. Um, some people are you know very are, they're they're doing these crazy guidelines and you should definitely be safe and you know it's it's, it's changed but at the end of the end of the day um people are people are back filming i'm i've never stopped and i'm going into production uh, shortly um do you want to do you want to uh, plug anything or tell, tell us about anything you're working on right now yeah well other than leonard skinner um there's a movie called her deadly groom it's a tv movie okay Lifetime channel, but it's a movie that I not only directed but produced. Please. It's scheduled to go on Lifetime. You got that all? Yeah, worked? yeah, cool. It's premiering uh, two days, but look, let's be on the lookout for her, her deadly groom. Cool, that's and awesome. Give, give that to me. Watch. Give it. Give it. Give it. Give it some good ratings. It needs. Uh, I want to get as many people behind it. To, uh, give it the ratings. Before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you: Was there anything on the film, like any any cool stories that? Uh, that do you recall that might be something that, you know, one day might be on a bonus DVD or something, any, anything that uh, struck you about doing that film? Uh, I'll tell you the story. It, it's uh, a little bit more interesting than some of the, some of the sort of boring, oh, this guy pulled a prank on me. It's a bit more detailed, but I, I think you'll appreciate it. Sure. So our show is non-union, right? We, uh, there was what's called the IOTC uh, union a stage and theater employee, a uh, huge billion, almost billion dollar organization uh, that every every union worker on the movie set is, is in what's called IATSE, right? And when right. you make a movie, a big movie, you do it, you sign a deal with them saying that we are hiring your union workers to be on this movie. You know, you can't terminate someone because you just like them, you know, they have to work it's six hours on and you take a break at this time. If you don't break it exactly that time, then you, then you have to pay an extra hundred dollars an hour or like it's very union, very proud. And, and, and for the, its members, certainly a great, you want to be in the union, right? Yeah. That being said, <clears throat> when you're an independent film company, you can't afford to hire a union crew. So you you go non-union, right? You you hire people, and and, and union people can can work non-union, uh, which is weird. But uh, non-union people can't work union jobs. Uh, so every majority of crew want want to be in this union. Okay, but we're low budget, so there's a thing that happens, and it's very hostile. It's called when a show gets organized, or in other words, flipped. That means that somebody on the movie crew contacted the union. The union, and then what they do is they show up to meet up with the producers. They just show up, you know, and they'll show up twenty or thirty of them, or, or you know, is it kind of like a kind of like a raid or something? I yeah, mean, it's like yeah. a raid. They, yeah. they they raid your production. Uh, they everybody they force every crew member to stop working, and they they hand a a contract over to your producer 
So you're held hostage. Right now, you, all your crew has walked out on you. Um, people that you were very kind to and have hired and you brought onto a film, a low budget independent film, but they all will walk, they will, they will uh, leave the uh, set, the movie set. The, the union people will work, hold you hostage until you sign an, an, a, an agreement that says this is now a union show. Mm. Now have to you pay you have to pay the fees that you should have paid. This sounds like a shakedown to me at that point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a shakedown. So they do that, and they're and and they're known for doing that. They, they always come on the biggest, most expensive day. They know things. <laughs> it was quite an incident to be a directing a feature that gets or flipped by the union is is did you did you guys were you able to work that out or did that severely impact the uh, production we worked it out they got you by the balls right. well, you better work it out or you don't or you say you know what everybody go home there was a story that you know the asylum bravely stood up the union came everybody the entire crew walked hmm. and the asylum says all right goodbye guys you're all uh, we're 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 taking our production somewhere else. A very important part of the story is mm -hmm. it's very difficult to get into the union and the easiest way for you to get into the union is to get on a show that gets flipped. So a lot of those people are the ones that call it in. So it, it's kind of like somebody thinks out, thinks out the producer or the, or the show and then the union comes in. It's kind of like an OSHA raid or something. It sounds well, like- Well, they call you there. They sneakily yeah. call, the, someone calls the union. Someone tips them off. Someone says, hey guys, uh, I am, my name is so-and-so, I'm, this is my crew position, uh, I'm working on this feature film, it's non-union, they have a, a budget, a good budget, and then they'll, okay, send me the call sheet, the call sheet gets sent, you know, they're in contact with this person, and then they show up. They just, they show up at lunch, they know, they know things. And you're you're encouraged as a union as a union member or non-union member to call in these shows. So it's a very dirty little secret that people don't want to talk about, and that that's what happened. But yeah, no man, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So I want to thank you guys for joining us today. We've been talking about the film Street Survivors: The True Story of the Leonard Skinner Plane Crash. It is coming out on DVD and video on demand on June 30th. It is an amazing film that Artemis Pyle, the drummer for Leonard Skinner, has put together to tell his story about what happened that fateful day. And I think anyone who's a Skinner fan, this is an automatic for you to check out. And I wanna thank Jared Cohn, the writer and director, for joining me today to talk about this movie and to talk about a true gentleman and a rock and roll hall of famer Artemis Pyle, a guy who's finally getting his story out there to the public. There's a lot of Skinner fans that will, will really like this movie. Well, definitely check it out. Okay. Sounds good, man. That was a good show. All right. <laughs> okay, Jared, thank you for being with us today, and uh, good luck with all future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on.